This morning we're going to read from Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. And it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. Thank you, Shay. Would you pray with me one more time as we go? Thanks, man. God, I just thank you for that word. Your kingdom will have no end. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. Continue the conversation you're already having with us now. What good news this story is, God. What good news this story is. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Amen. Well, every year at Christmas, I, my family and I, we would do our... We would do our morning together, opening presents, and then by lunchtime, we'd end up at my grandmother's house, and uh, we'd all pile in. And I mean, it was, it was fun in the morning, but I knew when we got to Grammy's house, like, if, I didn't eat breakfast, because I knew if I went to Grammy's house, I did not want to go there full. Um, <laughs> she, would, she would bring out cheese balls, anybody at Christmas? Oh, Andrew and I, okay, you and I are going to have a ton of cheese balls this Christmas. If you want to get me a gift, get me a, get me a cheese ball and crackers for Christmas. Oh my gosh. Like the spice and the nuts in there in this big baseball size of cheese. I'm going to go sit in the corner and eat one. No. There was so much food. So much food. But I, so I'd walk in the door and I'd, I'd, we'd be at my grandmother's house. And of course, as a kid, the first thing I notice is, um, is the Christmas tree and all the presents. And so, of course, I want to beeline for that Christmas tree. But before we could do any of that, we would always, I remember, it's so vivid, it's, I, we don't go there anymore. My, my grandmother and, and grandfather aren't well, so they can't host like they used to. But I remember there was this big wooden, like, dresser or cabinet or something, and we'd all circle in this small living room around the wreath and the advent candles, right? And we'd go from candle to candle, and we'd read the Christmas story. And for some reason, as a kid, I felt like this took forever. <laughs> it was probably, I mean, I don't even know if it was five minutes. Really, like, I, I go back now, and I'm like, it probably, it probably was only four or five minutes, maybe seven at the most. But as a kid, this took forever, and I would have to wait when all I wanted to do was go open some presents. And, it, and I, was, I remember just being so restless. I remember being so restless. But the older I got, this time around the Advent candles became far more significant. You know, I would see things that I never saw before. I would, I would see things on a whole different level. It's funny how that happens as you get older. You start, to, you start to see things in a different light. I started to understand the significance of this Christmas story that we would read every year. And I started to understand that it wasn't just simply about this moment where Jesus came. And Jesus was born. The significance was actually in the coming of Jesus. Do, do you see where I'm going with that? It wasn't just about the moment. It was about every moment leading up 
to that moment. The waiting time before Jesus would come. My dad would always read out of Isaiah basically the same passage that Shay just read this morning. The hope of someone who would come and would make everything right. Emmanuel, God with us. God near, God close, God here. We are spending the month of December leading up to Christmas exploring this season of Advent. It's a season where we're invited to experience, it is an invitation, it's not something we just enter in on our own. This is an invitation to experience and explore the anticipation of the coming of Jesus. The waiting before Jesus would come. We learned last week that Advent means the arrival of a notable person or thing. Pulling back the curtains a bit and looking deeper at this season that we call Advent, I invited us to ask the question, why? Why is the Advent, this a moment of arrival of Jesus, so important? Asking why is kind of like turning the lights on. Or it's kind of like looking for a light maybe in a dark room. You are looking for the light because you need to see what's around you. You look for a light because you cannot see. You need the room illuminated. Advent is kind of like turning the lights on. Advent is an invitation from God to turn on the lights and look at ourselves. Look at the world and see what is around us to understand where we are. We're looking a bit deeper at this moment here in Isaiah. We're looking at this moment in Isaiah and we read, we read the first part of this, of this passage in Isaiah 9 last week. Isaiah, the prophet, is given this word from God to share with the people. And we knew, or we know from last week when we read, starting in verse 2, that the people were living in darkness, right? Isaiah starts by addressing the, the fact of the matter, the truth of the moment. We are living in darkness, but what? They have seen a great light. Basically saying the darkness is not the end. The darkness is not the end of the story. Isaiah begins to describe this coming light. And Shea read this beautifully for us. The child, this child that is to be born, what? What is this child going to be like? Well, he calls this child a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. And how does he end the description? What does he say? Prince of peace. That's right. Prince of peace. This is such an interesting way to describe a prince in this time in history. Whether you were a prince or any other type of royalty, a king or a queen, peace would be a really strange word to describe that person. Whether you're reading through the Bible or any other historical document from that time in history, whether it's the ancient world leading up into the first century, you would know that most of the royalty we see came to power through violence. Anyone in royalty, a king or a queen in charge, found themselves there because most of the time they would have to violently take that, that, that reign from somebody else. We learned about that last week, about all the different empires that basically just overthrew each other throughout most of the time of Isaiah and then into the time of Jesus. It's all violence. This was kind of how the world worked. Either you were, you were born, maybe because of your family name, you were born into royalty, or you said, hey, I want that. <laughs> basically, it's just like a kid when they want the toy from their sibling. That never happens in my house. It's a joke. It happens all the time. It's that same, like, I want that, and you have it, so I'm going to take it. That was how the world worked. 
It was a violent place. Society really as a whole was, was a pretty violent and unjust place. If you were strong, if you were strong, whether it was financially in, in the world or you were physically strong, the understanding would be you probably dominate those who are weaker than you. You mattered in that way. If you were strong, if you were mighty, and you powered over those who were weak, you were seen as high in society. If you go back to the very ancient world and read through many of, of their creation accounts, like if you go back and study like ancient Egypt or ancient Babylon and you look at, like we have our creation account here. But if you look at some of the other uh, civilizations, that's the word, at the time when you go and look at their beginnings, it's really interesting to see just the, the contrast of creation accounts. They were very violent. Most of the time, you know, it was this God over here who would go to battle with this God. And then all of a sudden, this God would kill this God. And from this dead body came creation. Thanks. Like that, <laughs> that's, but you go and you look, and even our beginnings are quite violent. That is how the world worked. Violence and chaos. Anxiety and fear. This is how the world worked. But I don't really think that's news to us, is it? It may not be in our face in the same way, but violence and chaos continue to be very present in the world around us. You know, peace can sometimes feel very far away, can't it? Jeff said that in pre-gathering prayer this morning. It was awesome. It's true. Like, peace can, peace can feel very far away. Peace can almost seem like a fairy tale. You know, it's like, it's like a nice idea, but is it actually possible? Is it actually possible? But, but what if, let me ask this question this morning. What if there was a time of actual peace? What if, what if peace is not a new idea? What if there was actually a state of peace at one point, and it's not just some fairy tale we'd like to reach someday? If you go to the front of your Bible, if you go to the front of your Bible, you'll find the book of Genesis. And Genesis 1 says this. It's basically starting at the beginning. Hence, the first three words are in the beginning. That's where my Bible college degree comes in handy. No, I'm just joking. Genesis 1 says this. At the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, this is very poetic language, but the author is basically giving us an account of the pre-created state of the world. You'll notice God, um, the, the author doesn't get into all the days, and, you know, there's many theories and ideas about that. We're not going to get into that this morning. But basically, this is before anything is created. This is the state the world is in. It's, it's formless and empty. There's a Hebrew term here. I'm not going to put it up there for us. I didn't give it to them because I'm going to be lucky if I can even say it correctly. But it's this phrase, tovu wavohu. Thanks, Andrew. Which, <laughs> say that with me. No, I'm not going to ask you to do that. But it basically means unordered and uninhabited. Some translations, instead of saying formless and empty, they actually say wild and waste. I like that translation better. The world was wild. It was dark. It was chaotic. It was empty. But then the author goes on to describe 
basically what we call the creation account. And God takes this wild and waste, this, this, this world where darkness hovered over the ground. God takes this wild and waste and he begins to create something beautiful. We read about light and darkness, day and night, land and plants and animals and fish and oceans, and then eventually creation account crescendos with the creation of humanity. And it's at this space where God ends the whole count by, and most of you could probably say this better than me, but God saw all that he was made and he said it was what? Not just good. He said it was very good. It's very different than a violent story of this God and this God killing each other and then comes creation. From wild and waste, formless and empty, God creates something that he says is very good. Very good. This Hebrew word here is the word tov. Can you say that with me? Tov. It means favorable, well, right, best, or delightful. This isn't just the type of good you use to describe a hamburger or a piece of chocolate. You know, it's this, it's this deeper state of rightness and delight. Well, maybe you would use that to describe a burger. No? Cool. I would. Very good. One commentary actually said this. God saw his work and behold, it was all very good. Well, what does that mean? It means everything perfected in its kind. So that every creature might reach the goal appointed by the creator and accomplish the purpose of, it, of its existence. That's way better than just, oh, wow, this is kind of neat. You know, creation worked. It was united and together it functioned properly and they could do what it was supposed to do. It was peaceful. It was whole. Then we come to this moment in Genesis that, that the author calls the seventh day. And it says that God rests. We could see this as God kind of, you know, putting his feet up on the lazy boy and saying, hey, this is all pretty good. Check this out, angels. But that's not, that's not the rest God or Genesis is talking about. This type of rest is actually God resting upon and dwelling in his creation. Numbers were very important in, in Hebrew culture and Hebrew literature. And so this number seven, it's not by accident. Like I know we have seven days of the week, absolutely. But there, it's not just about that. It's about this number seven. Why is seven important? Well, seven symbolized completeness, wholeness. It was done and it was together. In this state of wholeness and completion, God takes up residence in his creation, a state of wholeness. We've talked about another word that sounds very similar to that in the last few weeks, haven't we? Wholeness, completeness. It's this word shalom, or what we would best describe it as is peace. A state of wholeness. Creation was in a state of peace, or shalom, whole and complete. Why? Because God's design and his presence was fully there. There was something about God dwelling in his creation that brought about this state of tov, or completeness, or shalom, wholeness. Sadly, this isn't the end of the story. Human, human beings decide we like our way better, so we break shalom. We break the tov. We break the wholeness and the completeness. Our desire for our own way is basically this, this violent act against God's shalom. Here, in this moment in the story, 
violence enters, and it's really never left, has it? It hasn't left. There's a, that's a lot of backstory, I know. But again, I, I want us to really ask why. Why is the advent of Jesus so significant? Sometimes to really understand the moment, you need to go back. Why does it matter? Why would it matter for God to say to a man named Isaiah that a child was going to come and he was going to be the Prince of Peace? Why, why would that be so significant? I think it's because Jesus didn't come to simply give us a whimsical or empty hope. He didn't come to just give us an emotional burst. Jesus came to be the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, the one who would bring God and creation back to wholeness, back to rightness. When we hear Jesus as the Prince of Peace during Advent, something we need to really understand is that peace is not just the absence of conflict. Often we can think of peace that way, can't we? It's just like if everything's good, then it's probably peace, especially at Christmas. You know, if we could just get through this day without this person doing what they always do at Christmas, we'll be good. (laughs) Or if we could just get through this supper without so-and-so burning the turkey again, we'll we'll have shalom. Or if we could get through this lifelong story that this guy says every single Christmas. Yes, have I told this before? Yep, three million times, Dad. Shalom is not just the absence of conflict. It is that, but it's so much more. That's like, that's like one-tenth of the story. For instance, let's just say a major disagreement happens with you and a friend. A betrayal or some sort of lie or something. Something basically just really breaks the clo- a close friendship. Years later, your friend comes to you, and they want to, they, want to, they want to try to mend things. They want to restore your friendship. Well, shalom or completeness of your friendship is just not simply you two not fighting anymore. That, that's not shalom. That's like, sure, you're avoiding some conflict or like, you know what, we'll agree to disagree. High five, we're not going to yell at each other anymore. Okay, that's not, that's not shalom. Shalom is that you two work together and become closer than ever before. A shalomed, if you could use it as a verb, a shalomed relationship is restored and healed and fully repaired. That, that's way different than just avoiding conflict. So when Jesus is referred to as the Prince of Shalom, it means he is the one to restore and to heal and to complete all that is broken. Jesus making shalom between God and creation, between God and people, between person and person. Complete shalom. And we'll see this come into full effect when Jesus will eventually, as you read through the Gospels, Jesus will eventually go to the cross. The innocent Prince of Peace absolutely slaughtered on the cross and coming back to life. Why? So that the the full purposes of shalom and tov, peace and goodness, would be made right. So the invitation of Advent, this, this illuminating reality of Advent, is the broken world we live in, because it is. It doesn't take long to see it, unfortunately. It's not the end of the story, though. The brokenness that we see and experience is not the end. The broken friendships, the broken relationships around us do not have to be the end of the story. Those who we would call enemies could become friends, could become family, brother and sister, if, if we receive the invitation of shalom. 
Advent turns the lights on, the lights on in the darkness and shows us that God is making everything right through the Prince of Peace. Advent invites us to see and to actually feel, we talked about it at the very beginning about this anticipation of Jesus coming. It invites us to feel the ache as to why Jesus would need to come in the first place. It invites us to feel the ache of a broken world full of systems and powers that really cause violence against God's tove, against God's goodness, his shalom. Advent invites us to see the absence of it, to see the absence of this peace. Why? So that we could see more clearly the radical gift that Jesus is. Sometimes to really understand the weight of the promise given, you've got to realize why you need the promise in the first place. You know what I mean? How can, you, how can you see something that needs saving if you don't know why it needs to be saved in the first place? Jesus will later say in the book of John, my, my peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. Another way we could say that is my, my shalom I give you. My wholeness, my completeness. My, my shalom I leave with you. God's wholeness, his rightness, his restoring and healing work once again entering the story just like it did in creation when he said it was very good. But this time it happens through a baby in Bethlehem. Unnoticed by many, we desperately need the Prince of Peace. We desperately need the Prince of Peace. It doesn't take long to see our world isn't peaceful. <laughs> Go on Facebook for a few minutes. Right? Man, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of good going on there, but it's a violent place. That may seem like a little bit extreme to see it that way, but I don't think we can afford not to. My opinion against your opinion. My right against your right. My peace against your peace. Isn't that funny? That when my peace disturbs your peace, it creates violence. Interesting. We desperately need God's shalom back. And that's the work that God is doing through Jesus. That's why Christmas is good news. The Prince of Peace will reign and his kingdom will have no end. We read that at the very beginning. He will reign on the throne of David and his kingdom will have no end. I think the last two years have shown us how badly we need wholeness and peace. Real peace. Our economy will not give us that. Our homes and our cars will not give us that. Our health won't even give us that. Each other, as good as we are, I love you guys, but you are not my peace. Right? Like, thank goodness. I'm, thank goodness I'm not your peace. If I was your peace, you would be a disaster. <laughs> right? Like, really, I'm thankful that I don't have to be your peace and vice versa because we need, we need a peace outside of ourselves. Two things, only God can give the type of peace that, that puts us back together. Only God gives that kind of peace. Two things I think we, we need to understand as we, as we kind of really, really let this invitation of, of peace take its full effect here. The first one is this. God's peace is disruptive. God's peace is disruptive. John Tyson, he's a pastor in New York, he said this about the Christmas season. Real, real, uh, real hope builder, this one here. <laughs> Christmas is a threat. <laughs> Merry Christmas. To the systems and the principalities and the powers of oppression in this world. 
I'll say that again. Christmas is a threat to the systems and the principalities and the powers that, of, op, of oppression in this world. Jesus entering the story is not a passive move. It's a disruption. It's a disruptive move of love and peace into a world. God's shalom coming to life. It is God taking back what we violently broke. It is not a passive move. Jesus is God responding to a world that is full of hurt and brokenness and pain and saying, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Jesus coming is a giant plead from God to say, come back. This is not how this was supposed to be. I'm going to bring you back, but it is going to disrupt everything. Let me ask this this morning. Are, are there places in our lives that are broken? Are there places in your life that are broken? Are there relationships in our lives that are broken? Especially at Christmas. I mean, if there's, if there's funky family dynamics, leave it to Christmas to just bring an old volcano to the surface, right? Maybe it's just my family. Maybe my family's crazy, right? Like if something about Christmas that tends to just like any kind of hurt and, and I'm not trying to make light of it because it's some of that pain and hurt in families is real. But Christmas just kind of like, it's like a finger in the ribs. It just heightens everything. Where do we need God's shalom? The restoring and healing shalom of God. Where do we need that? Where do you need that? Where do I need that? And then secondly, the, the question's this. Do we have the courage to actually invite God's shalom in? We know it's there. Would we have the courage to actually invite it in? Maybe the one family member we just can't stand to see around Christmas. <laughs> Second point is this. If the first point is that God's peace is is disruptive. Well, what we know from the story is that God's peace is trustworthy. Yeah, let's take a deep breath of that this morning. God's peace is trustworthy. As disruptive as it is, the Prince of Peace, Jesus, reality is he came for you and for me. God, God's restoring and healing peace his shalom, it, had, it has a purpose. It has a reason. It just doesn't come just because it feels good. Like even though it was 2,000 plus whatever years ago when Jesus came, Jesus or God saw your face. Like he, he sees you, he knows you. And then he sends Jesus. His peace and his wholeness, they're trustworthy. Why? Because they're for you. It's like, it's like a gift at Christmas. It's, it's, it has your name on it. It has your story on it. It has your pain on it. It has your victories and your losses on it. Even if you absolutely make a wreck of it time and time again, his peace is still for you. His wholeness is for you. John 3 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave. 
He gave his son. Why? So that we'd all feel better at the end of the day? No. So that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have real life. Shalom. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to what? To save it, to heal it, to shalom it, to bring tov back. This is what God is doing in the world. He's disarming, disarming and he's disrupting the systems that cause violence in, and injustice in his world. Abuse, slavery, human trafficking, bullying, discrimination, betrayal, murder, hatred, unforgiveness, anger, putting somebody down for your own benefit, gossip. Some of those are really heavy examples, but some of those things stare us in the face every single day. All of those things and more, they weren't on God's mind when he created the world. When God said it was very, very tov, it's because those things were gone. They didn't exist. We brought them into the story, not him. We are invited into a different way, a way of shalom, a way that partners with God. I read this earlier uh, at the very beginning and I wanna kind of finish the verse now. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Through Jesus, through the birth of this baby, God is bringing shalom into his world. This is the work God is doing. It will be done. There's nothing we can do to stop it, even when we mess it up over and over and over and over again. This is what God is doing. It will be done. The question is, will we take part in it? The question is, Will we let God's shalom, God's tov, his goodness, take up residence in us? Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. God's peace is disruptive, but it is trustworthy. Self-realization or awakening or enlightenment will not cut it. The only work that will bring real peace Wholeness and restoration is the peace of God through Jesus. There's only one way. The response is simply to let God do the work. It's to surrender to it. I, this, this came to me the other day as I was, I was kind of praying and listening, like, well, God, how would you have us respond to this today? And I, I love my girls, Adeline and Olive. Adeline's four and Olive is 16 months. They are some of the most fiery, <laughs> passionate, life-filled, but opinionated little girls I have ever met. Uh, to give you a little bit of a snapshot into our life, our mornings are loud. I, 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 there's no like metaphor there, they're just super loud. Like, <laughs> that was the best way I could describe it. Adeline wakes up with a fury. It's like fireworks and rainbows and unicorns and everything, every, rockets. And I'll be honest with you, I don't wake up with the same energy as my four-year-old daughter. <laughs> and 
honest, just to be completely honest with most of you, I, I oftentimes just want everything to be quiet. And so what do I do? In my own selfish desire for peace in my mornings, I oftentimes, when I'm at my worst, I shut it down, right? I dominate the loudness with my desire for peace and I go, shh. But then I, I see the look on Adeline and Olive's face. And what I just did wasn't peace to them at all. You know, I wasn't trying to, but in that moment, I, I hurt them. Right? Like, I, I shut them down. I told them that my version of peace needs you to be quiet. Jesse will remind me so lovingly and so graciously. It's amazing. And I'm, I'm oftentimes just shutting them down. That's not peace. That's, that's silencing. That's just another power. That's just, that's just more violence. I may not, I'm not physically being violent, but you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm my version of peace, my need, because really it comes down to what I need. I need you to be quiet so that I'm okay. So what am I gonna do? I'm gonna shut you down so that I'm okay. That's, that's not peace. Jesus had lost to say about people like that. Go read his relationship with Peter, the disciple. Peter, put your stinking sword away. <laughs> you're not getting it. Your peace isn't going to happen through a sword. It's the opposite. You're actually going to have to take up your cross and you're going to follow me. Peace. God's shalom means I enter the loud and the chaos of my mornings with peace already inside. So that when I'm up against the crazy and the loud, I don't need to shut them down to be okay. I'm already okay before I entered it. See, because peace doesn't avoid the conflict. It comes into the conflict with the Prince of Peace. Do you catch the difference? I don't need a chaotic world to tell me I'm okay. I'm already okay before I woke up. God's peace, real peace, confronts my desire to shut everything down. God's peace says there is peace in me so that the conflict gets, becomes very small. Do you see the difference? Do we let the Prince of Peace give us peace? Is that the invitation we're listening to this Christmas? I'm gonna invite, um, I'm gonna invite the prayer team to come on out. If you can, no worries if you can't. But I'm, I'm gonna end here with this. Everything started at the beginning. It's usually how beginnings go. God took wild and waste and he created beauty and life and he called it what? Very good. He called it right. He called it perfect. This is what I had in mind. This is fulfilling. And a garden burst from the ground. And we, broke the, we, we brought the wild and the waste back into the story. Sin entered the story and we broke it. But right in the middle of the wild and the waste again, God plants a seed, the Prince of Peace, to bring back the very good, to bring back the shalom, to bring back the tov, the right and the perfect. And what we get to witness now is a new garden burst through the ground. If you go and read the book of Revelation, this garden turns into a city. And we read, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth and everything was as it was always supposed to be. Will you join him in that? 
will we work in the garden and see life spring through the ground again? It's the way we talk on Facebook. It's the way we treat those who disagree with us. It's the way we defend ourselves or not defend ourselves because maybe it's not the fight we need to fight. Maybe God's shalom says, keep your mouth shut. Oftentimes that's what it is for me. I'm not, oftentimes it's like, John, shush. You're messing it up again. Just, I I love your passion, but shush. (laughs) Maybe God's peace says, just swallow it. Maybe you're supposed to listen. Are we bringing God's peace into the world or are we just creating more wild and more waste? Listen, as followers of Jesus, especially if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, we need to recapture how to be God's peace in the world. Oh man. What's our fight and what's not our fight? I think oftentimes there's not even a fight in the first place. I wanna end with this quote. I posted this on Facebook yesterday. And we who live between the death and the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth and the final establishment of the kingdom he came to bring, he's talking about when Jesus comes again, the kingdom in which justice and peace shall be knit together at last forever, we are entrusted with a mission. Not simply to save a few souls from the wreck of this world, since God so loved and has promised to redeem it, nor simply to tinker with the world's own systems merely to do things a bit differently here or there. No, our mission is this. By prayer and courage, holiness and hard work, it will be hard work, he says. We are called to discover the practical ways in today's and tomorrow's world of seeking justice without violence, of making and maintaining peace without tyranny.